Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Gray Matter with Michael Krasny, your humble and generally affable host. And in this episode of Gray Matter, we meet Sarah Hill, former interactive TV journalist and award-winning TV reporter who has been awarded 12 Mid-American Emmys. Sarah spent decades covering trauma in Sri Lanka, Guatemala, Indonesia, Gambia, and Congo. And she also had uh, coverage of numerous issues related to veterans in her career in media, and that was, in fact, her beat. In 2015, she became involved in Honor Everywhere, a project using virtual and augmented reality for veterans, which featured virtual visits to World War II, Vietnam, Korea, and women's memorials. This led her to biometric measuring and neurofeedback and her present role as CEO of Helium, that's Helium, H-E-A-L. It's an enterprise dedicated via biometrics and virtual and augmented reality to unlocking healing powers within the human body through training inside of virtual worlds with the body's electricity via wearables. She holds five patents and the title of chief storyteller, which we'll find more of about. And she has also said she has three children, and I'm quoting her here, including my husband. Welcome to Gray Matter, Sarah. Good to have you with us. Michael, it's so great to see you uh, and hear you and to share a little bit about um, our nerdery. So appreciate the opportunity. Well, and I appreciate your being here. There's so much to talk about with you, but let's begin with the veterans beat because that sort of left you, led you into biometrics. Uh, it led you, unfortunately, to some extent into some trauma, covering all these traumas on your own. I mean, you were experiencing panic attacks, compassion fatigue, and this is important in your story. Tell us why. As you know, you know, you interview um, a lot of people and the ability to tell a good story sometimes depends on the ability to step inside their story and empathize with their situation. And so I was a television news reporter for decades covered the aftermath of the tsunami in Sri Lanka and Indonesia, uh, children who were, were starving in, in Guatemala. Um, and, and as you and your audience may know, in order to be a good storyteller or a journalist, sometimes you have to do some things that are uh, difficult, knock on doors of people who've lost children and you're, you're covering sometimes the worst day of someone's life um, and you're doing it all over and over and over and over again. And that toll ultimately took a toll on my mental health. I developed an inability to sleep, insomnia, that eventually when you're not sleeping, your body isn't resetting. And my 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 body and my mind revolted in the form of panic attacks. And so, um, you know, developed helium for me, as well as the millions of people who who struggle with anxiety, and you are correct in that it started with, with veterans doing virtual tours for them. And we go from there, really, to working with, and a lot of these veterans were older and terminally ill, so they couldn't actually go there in terms of being there, so they went through virtual reality. And we can explore that somewhat, although in those days, we were talking about Google Glass, weren't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was a glass hole back in the day, as they say, and that was ultimately what got me into immersive media. We were using glass to provide virtual tours of the World War II Memorial for terminally ill and aging World War II veterans who weren't able to physically travel there. Some of your audience might be familiar with the honor flights that fly veterans on real physical flights to Washington, D.C. to see their memorials because sadly the memorial you know, was built too late for a lot of these 80, 90, 100-year-olds. 
Um, and so the, you know, uh, the Honor Flight Network is a great free program for veterans that allows them to see it. But what we were finding through that program, and we formed um, myself along with um, a lot of other great volunteers formed the hub in Columbia, Missouri, was that a lot of these veterans would call me, leave very uh, passionate voicemails that they would love to go, but they're on too much oxygen uh, or their body, they, they would worry their bodies wouldn't physically make the trip and their doctors advise them against physically going. So as a technologist was trying to understand what do I have in my skill set that could allow them to see the World War II Vietnam Korea Women's Memorial without actually going there. And that was through glass. And ultimately, uh, when uh, Google pulled the glass program, uh, we needed an alternative. And that alternative was virtual reality. And so we started gathering up old headsets from any entity that was willing to provide them to us. And we would ship them out all over the, the nation. And we flew all around the nation to different veterans' homes to allow them inside the goggles to see the World War II Vietnam Korea uh, Women's Memorial. And now, you know, in the aftermath of the pandemic, where a lot of the honor flights were grounded, honor everywhere is still a free tool that allows them to see their memorials. And through that process, we noticed that VR was in all immersive media was impacting these veterans physiology. They weren't just watching these experiences, they were feeling them. And so we started doing brain maps. Uh, these are EEGs, the basically, right? As mm -hmm, opposed yeah. to EKGs, yeah. Right, EEG, electroencephalogram. And these are full 24 sensor EEG caps with gel uh, that you know would go over the head because as a journalist, a naturally curious person, I was wondering what is happening to these individuals because after these experiences, they would take off the goggles they would take deep cleansing breaths. They would, you know, they would sigh and they would say, I like how I felt. Can I watch that again? And it was almost as if you had put them in a warm bath and, you know, their body just softened. And so wanting to better understand what is this media doing to their physiology? I, I, I teamed up um, who is now with now my co-founder now, Dr. Jeff Tarrant, and he started doing a you know, series of brain scans before and after these experiences to see how is it impacting the physiology. Excuse me, and Sarah, we started, you were doing heart rates too, though, weren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Heart rate and, and EEG to better discover how is the media impacting uh, physiology. And through that process, we learned that you can create experiences in certain ways that have different impacts on your brain pattern and heart rate. And ultimately that led us on a path to integrate biometric data with immersive media to allow these users to learn to self-regulate their brain patterns and heart rate. It's exciting, new frontiers, it's brave new world. And I think uh, there's much to explore here with you. And I know people will have questions for you as well, but let me kind of cut to a certain chase here because I can remember putting on those goggles and headphones and so forth, the Oculus uh, experience. Uh, and, you know, you're there. I mean, you're, you are immersed. It's strong enough sometimes just watching television and having the news affect you that way. Uh, it can be you know, get your blood pressure way up and have all kinds of deleterious effects on you, particularly because the news is uh, so often 
uh, down. But this is kind of looking at how it downshifts your nervous system, literally, uh, which is kind of fascinating about it. I mean, you're talking about seeing inside your body and seeing the kind of performance that your body is doing in response to these kinds of stimuli. And the technology is changing all the time too, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, we have a media diet. As a journalist for decades, you know, I felt in my own body how a poor media diet had impacted my physiology. And the things that we watch on the news and in our social media feed absolutely impact our brain patterns and our heart rate. And not to say that media is bad in any, any way. We need that media, uh, you know, good or bad to know who to vote for, who to vote against. Is there a tornado coming in my area? It, you know, um, am I safe? Uh, you know, where should I send my, my kids to school? But if you don't counter that negative media fiber with some positive fiber, then you're off balance and that poor digital nutrition will absolutely make you sick. And so, you know, that's all we're, we're, we're doing with, with helium is using media as a tool to positively impact physiology in a way that allows people to unlock the healing powers they have inside themselves. And this is really mind-body. This is a very organic vision of how our minds and bodies are locked together. And uh, it certainly is complemented by a great deal of research. I wonder, though, I mean, the research goes into biofeedback and meditation and all of these kinds of things that have been proven to move us forward in ways uh, that can be healing. Thus, your name, Helium, for your company, with H-E-A-L. Uh, there's also a lot of skepticism, though, about the efficacy. I'd like you to address that before we go and explore it even more. I mean, uh, when I mention some of these things to friends of mine who are hardcore scientists, uh, they say, where's the science in this? And, you know, there, there are studies of transcendental meditation, all kinds of things that are uh, pretty revealing in terms of efficacy. Um, mm -hmm. But there's all that skepticism, too, because some of the science, I suppose, seems to hardcore scientists to be a little squishy, or I'm, I'm not sure what, they don't see double-blind uh, kinds of studies or whatever. You've got a lot of research and you've got even your own patents mm -hmm. to back you up. Talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So five peer-reviewed journals, um, Frontiers in Psychology, Journal of Met uh, Neuroregulation, the Scholarly Journal of Behavioral Science and Psychology, Frontiers in Virtual Reality Medicine. I mean, it's, it's, it's well-documented that virtual reality um, impacts brain patterns and heart rate. In fact, it's been found to be just as effective overall. The, the VR industry has uh, been found to be just as effective as a dose of hydromethorphan or Dilaudid, which is a powerful painkiller. And so that's why you're seeing the rise of these virtual reality digital therapeutics. You can see on a brain map in real time how immersive media impacts the brain when you're inside the goggles. So the brain ultimately believes what it sees, just as, um, you know, you would take a warm bath or a walk in the park. If we are putting a park inside the headset, your body is responding as if it is in the park. And um, from a science perspective, 
Uh, that is, is well documented. Virtual reality does absolutely impact brain patterns and heart rate. But what and about the healing can, power? I guess that's where there's some skepticism still, uh, particularly about the healing power. I mean, we're in a mental health crisis. If we could use virtual reality to, we got hundreds of millions of people who have terrible anxiety. There's extraordinary power possibilities here. And I'm not just talking about something like a power bar. We're talking about a whole continuum of what can ameliorate the kinds of problems we're facing. Uh, talk about the evidence there. I mean, where you find the proof there for healing yeah, this power. Is, yeah, this is the Stress Olympics. It's a mental health emergency, and not everybody is trained for it. And so uh, not only elite athletes, but worker athletes are trying to seek out drugless, non-harmful coping mechanisms that can allow them to be more self-aware of their brain patterns and heart rate. So with helium, it's not a replacement for psychotropic medication. It's not a replacement for professional counseling, which is one of the best things that we can do for ourselves. It's a fitness tool. Uh, much as you would exercise your body, uh, this is virtual peace for the mind. Um, think of it like a, a waterfall that you would listen to before you go to bed. Well, helium in that same way is media that you immerse yourself to quickly uh, downshift the, the nervous system. So, you know, want to be careful and, you know, uh, draw that distinction is, uh, you know, this is, is not a replacement for psychotropic medication. It's a self-awareness tool as part of you know, your regular media diet that you can add some positive fiber in there. Do You're kind of training data? your brain, right? You're training your um, brain? Uh, yeah, becoming more self-aware of what your brain patterns and your heart rate have the ability to do. So for instance, when you're inside these experiences, you see uh, your EEG or, or heart rate live streamed as a firefly that goes up and down. Uh, you learn very quickly that when you breathe, more, uh, that firefly will go up. Um, and as you breathe more, that heart rate and relax, that heart rate goes down. And that area of self-regulation and self-awareness is something that I didn't learn till I was in my 40s. It's certainly not something that um, is taught in schools, but yet it's so very core to the ability to learn to self-regulate your stress. And, you know, after all, um, in this, these days of a shortage of mental health therapists and um, which are so greatly needed right now, we all need to be uh, cultivating those healing powers that we have inside ourselves. You know, the ability to learn to self-regulate brain patterns and, and heart rate has power, not only in the virtual world, inside the goggles, but in the real world as well. Well, let's talk about the distinction of those two or the dichotomy. I mean, you can do this in your living room. Uh, I think you have talked about how important it would be for everybody to have this on their own mobile devices. Uh, it's something you could just do in the what I'll call the quotidian uh, aspects of life, daily ritual or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but when you're in there, I mean, it's like being in virtual reality. You can be in a bucolic, terribly serene, wonderful nurturing place, and then you have to step outside of it. What about the connection between, you know, going through that and experiencing it? Because I could see where it, became, it could become something you want to be in all the time, uh, as opposed mm -hmm. to being outside in the real world or the reality that we think of as a real world. Absolutely. And there's a great documentary called The Social Dilemma, 
uh, that dives a little bit terrific in, into documentary. Yeah. yeah, and and that's you know one of the things at Helium that we are very cognizant of is that there is no replacement for the beauty of the real world. But sadly, in our day and age, whether it be the lack of mobility or um, I'm stuck in a submarine or an aircraft carrier, not everyone has the ability to get out and experience nature and uh, nature bathing, if you will. This is, is virtual nature uh, that is you know, not meant to replace reality, but for those times when either you're having a bad day or you just need something that is a drugless, non-harmful coping mechanism to, you know, get you through uh, whatever it is that, that you're facing, that's, that's, that's something that you can do uh, in a non-invasive way. And I should say with these wearables, you know, uh, there are 250 million wearables out there in the market, whether it be an Apple Watch, a Fitbit, an Aura Ring, a Whoop Band, or any EEG meditation headband, we're hardware agnostic. So, you know, with all of that, that data, uh, the, that's some powerful information, not only as a number on your wrist, but when you're setting that singular number out spatially into an environment, and you can learn how to make it rise and, and fall, uh, you know, that that's very powerful and, and something that uh, a traditional meditation certainly has value, but is a, a different flavor of meditation that's called neuromeditation. No more dashboards for data? Dashboards for data. You used to there have are, them, I know, didn't you? Yeah, dashboards for data are still important. And, and matter of fact, we still have them for our product, even though our data is displayed as a solar system or as a flower or as butterflies that are hatching out of an augmented reality chrysalis. We pair that with a data dashboard that the user still has the ability to see their section length. They also get a helium score, uh, which allows them to uh, track their progress of, of focus calm over time. So I think, you know, we'll always probably still have flat data dashboards, but it becomes a very interesting tool when you're able to pair that with an immersive media experience that allows you to step inside your own data story. And you're seeing this in near real time, I presume, and you can do any wearable. Right now, you can do two compatible wearables, um, an Apple Watch and uh, a BrainLink Lite EEG headband. We're adding uh, new wearables all the time because ultimately we want any you know wearable to have the ability to, to power helium as a self-awareness tool. This is uh, fascinating stuff because you're really using the body's electricity and the body's own healing powers. I mean, it goes back to almost a lot of the lessons we learned from native people and you know what we can do with our own bodies. Or you think about those Tibetan monks who warm their body up just by sitting there and using their mind to do it. Uh, their robes suddenly become much warmer uh, things to be inside of. Lots of questions and lots of responses. Uh, let's try to get to some of them. Uh, the first one comes from uh, Kansas City. It's from Sue, and Sue wants to know, which improvements in VR do you think would make the most difference uh, uh, for patients? Uh, she says frame rate, resolution, audio, mm -hmm. your thoughts. Yeah, all of, all of those are good things. And Helium isn't meant to be used for patients. It's meant to be used for employees, so outside of uh, that, that, that patient population. But certainly for patients, there's a huge need. We were just in a call with a children's hospital uh, yesterday for virtual reality goggles for small heads. 
right? Because all of these goggles were designed by people who did not have small heads. Um, and so, you know, there is value in using virtual reality in, in some younger populations. The way we use it is ages 13 and above for that, for that reason. But, you know, certainly that, that would be important. Also, being better able to integrate these wearable integrations, we use our technology to do it that makes it easier. Uh, but, uh, you know, someday in the future, all virtual reality headsets, hopefully, and they're starting to, will become integrated with EEG sensors, heart rate sensors that allow it to be easier for immersive storytellers and content creators to integrate the body's electricity in, into the stories so that you're not just watching these experiences, you're actually feeling them and they're responding to your own biometric biometric data by how you experience the story. Frame rate is, is certainly important. And also uh, that the, the technology companies that are creating these goggles, Meta, uh, Pico, also known as TikTok, TikTok um, owns uh, Pico. And China owns TikTok. <laughs> and, and, and Vive as well. These headsets are iterating at a very incredibly fast rate, almost too fast for the, the companies to be able to keep up with these headsets. So um, in, in that, it's, there's a new headset that comes out every six months. And the public, you know, it still has Oculus Go's when you know there's the public is is still using oculus goes but yet these companies have sunsetted support for those that that hardware and while i applaud the use and and the um innovation in moving these products forward uh, it would be great if they wouldn't sunset the devices until they've actually fallen out of um, or, or begun to fall fall out of the, pu the public hands. And there's also an, an incredible learning curve with virtual reality and augmented reality in, in some respects. But um, these are, you know, new devices, just as we had to learn how to use our Blackberries and our mobile devices. It's the same thing with virtual reality and, and virtual reality goggles. And we do a lot of what's called VR kindergarten, you know, bringing uh, the masses in, uh, educating them about the, how the headsets work, how you can consume content in the headsets. Uh, and how you you can navigate navigate the men, the the menus, but the world is is no longer flat. It's becoming a a place that we step into, and uh, you know uh, that's all our all we're doing is you know allowing people not just to view a story from the filter of a fixed fixed rectangle, but actually be inside it in a way that has an impact um, on their brain patterns and heart rate. So I, mean, I was just going to ID, we're talking to Sarah Hill on Gray Matter with Michael Krasny, and she is CEO of Helium. Uh, what about getting the goggles and getting the equipment? You know, there's this great digital divide to those who need it, who are impoverished or living many of the countries, for example, that you visited as uh, as a reporter and, and saw all that poverty firsthand. Uh, be nice to I know there's a, there's a doctor, uh, his last name is Gordon, um, whom you may know, who's gone into a lot of war-torn places and tried to work with imaging and tried to work with meditation and the kinds of things that we've been sort of talking about here uh, on the outskirts of this conversation. But any thoughts about that, how we can be of help to those who particularly can't afford these kinds of goggles and 
technical devices? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that of some content creators, in, including ourselves, are trying to reduce that barrier to entry. So for instance, with our veterans programs, uh, we collect old virtual reality goggles and ship them around to, to VA centers and, and nursing homes so that they can access, access the content. But beyond that, there are ways that we are reducing the, the, that line between virtual reality and augmented reality. Ultimately, we, we know that XR will be very seamless in that you can tap your goggles and either choose to consume an experience uh, virtually 360 or tap it and you can see a pass-through camera where you're seeing the 3D assets superimposed on the screen. We also know that, you know, with whatever these, these uh, technologies are coming out with the future of mobile devices, that, you know, there the, that line between augmented and virtual reality will ultimately be blurred. And so we reduce the barrier to entry that, that you don't need goggles by opening up portals on your phone. So in our augmented reality app, you are able to open up a magic portal. It displays just on your mobile device, and then you're able to walk through that portal. Or if you don't have mobility, you can teleport through that portal, and then you're inside another immersive landscape. And if you move your phone side to side, kind of like magic window mode uh, with 360 video in, in the old days of, of Google Cardboard, you're able to be inside some of those immersive landscapes. So my hope is ultimately that that uh, technology will allow it so you don't have to have a 200 now $300 standalone headset in order to consume the experiences. And we're seeing that in enterprise. A lot of enterprises right now are using virtual reality goggles for training. Schools have them to, to, to be able to step inside the chemistry experiences. And uh, my hope is that that will also trickle up uh, to those individuals who lack access to uh, immersive media, but they do have a, have a phone and they can still consume immersive media on their phone. You were talking about people who have uh, inability to walk and uh, look at a question here from Hershed in central Florida, who's fascinated that you actually were in Zambia because he comes from Zambia. And oh. uh, when you talked about not being able to walk, it reminded me of what you covered in Zambia. You want to talk about that for a moment? Because Hershid's interested, I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Hi, Hershid. Um, good, to, good to listen to you in central Florida. Hello from Columbia, Missouri. We were in Zambia to cover some stories about a group of individuals who lacked access to wheelchairs and traditional mobility. And surprisingly, uh, some of these individuals were crawling um, on the ground on all fours because they didn't have access to wheelchairs and traditional wheelchairs were not able to navigate the terrain in Zambia. So that's why we were there. Beautiful people that uh, welcomed us with open arms. Matter of fact, I can still hear some of the, the women's songs uh, in, in my head. And we were there for a couple weeks and shooting immersive media stories that allowed people to step inside the stories of, of some of these individuals and experience, uh, you know, what they see. Another question for you, Sarah, from one of your fellow Missourians um, wants to know, what can we do without a headset to help to focus our attention and clear our minds to improve self-regulation? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you need not just one digiceutical 
in your medicine cabinet. And when I say digiceutical, I mean digital drug, a drugless, non-harmful coping mechanism. You don't need just helium. You need a bunch of them. So, you know, seek out all kinds of meditation apps, uh, interventions, try them all and see what works for you because uh, it's definitely not one size fits all, but you can start very simply with something that doesn't require an app, which is quieting your mind and focusing on your breathing. And then, you know, quickly noticing how that impacts your, your, your physiology. And that was something with traditional meditation that I struggled with when I closed my eyes and they said, imagine a beautiful stream. I saw nothing. And I really struggled with that, that visual aspect. And I always struggled with, am I doing this right? And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, we developed this, this technology is to allow you to have a barometer uh, to know, you know, what's in becoming more self-aware of, of those brain patterns and, and those heart rates so that you can learn to self-regulate. Because ultimately, imagine if you it was a weight that you were lifting with your arm, but yet you were never able to see your arm to know, is it going up? Um, and, you know, that's just what we're trying to do to try to add gravity uh, to traditional meditation uh, that allows you to experience it in a more visual way. And that might not be for everyone. Um, some individuals really excel with close your eyes and, and meditate. And if that works for you, do that. But you really need to be trying a variety of tools. Uh, and there are new ones that come out all the time to see what works for you. Now, I'm interviewing you and we have lots of questions, but I have to tell a quick story because a number of years ago, I had a phobia that came on me completely unwelcome and unheralded, and uh, it was about driving over a certain bridge. And I don't know why it came, but I went to see a behaviorist about it, a psychologist who was behaviorist psychology, and he hooked me up to one of these galvanic pressure machines and said, just imagine yourself driving over it. And he said, you are experiencing something here similar to somebody who would be in a jungle in a loincloth at night. I mean, you know, I'm not saying my imaginative powers are great or anything. I'm just telling you what happened to me and how I was able to conjure this. Uh, but it talks about the power of the mind and what what all of this virtual reality allows is for that mind to move in different directions like you're talking about that really can indeed make a difference in our lives, an extraordinary potential difference in our lives. Talk a little bit, if you will, I will go to more questions, but maybe some people would like clarity differences between virtual and augmented realities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent. I'd be happy to spell that out. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, that fight or flight response is real um, inside, you know, virtual reality or even, even the bridge. Um, so that's, you know, exactly what we're trying to do is flip that on its head with the media so that it's not triggering fight or flight it's actually triggering a relaxation response. And the difference between virtual, augmented, and mixed reality is on a spectrum. We have traditional flat 2D media, which certainly still has, has value. Um, beyond that is augmented reality. Augmented reality and different shops define it as different ways. So I'll define it how we refer to it in, in our shop is kind of like Pokemon Go, if you've ever played that game. It's a 3D assets that is augmenting and uh, superimposed over your real world. So you see your real living room through the filter of your mobile device. 
but then you're seeing a 3D asset superimposed on top of your coffee table or on top of your couch. So that's what's called augmented reality. A virtual reality is inside the goggles. So uh, inside a, a pair of ski goggles that have lenses that you put on your head, that you're in a bubble of video. So when you turn your head to the left, uh, uh, it's not as if the screen orients, it's just that you're uh, in that bubble of video and you're able to, it, it makes you feel like when you turn your head, you've turned your head, turned your head inside the experience. And so that's virtual reality. It's a completely closed off environment. For the most part, they're developing goggles uh, now that when you tap the side of the goggles, it turns into augmented reality. And that's why I was saying that line between AR and VR is blurring because of those technological advances. So virtual reality is completely inside the goggles. And then to further confuse everyone, there's something called mixed reality. And mixed reality is when you have the ability to interact with those augmented reality assets. So if you break it down, helium is a flavor of mixed reality because you're interacting with those assets, not with your hands, but with your heart rate and your brain patterns. Uh, but we call it augmented reality because it's people are more familiar with that term and it's easier for them to understand. And a virtual or, or wearables are optional with helium. If you don't want to use a wearable, you just want to view these uh, picturesque landscapes, you can certainly use it that way. But that line between um, uh, augmented, mixed, and virtual reality is blurring and being redefined every single day. And really, it's confusing to the consumers because there are such different flavors of media. Ultimately, we know that, for instance, you know, during the days when still photos moved from still to moving pictures, um, there was a delineation there that, you know, there, there was, uh, uh, you know, any video that included a still photo, uh, you know, it was two separate pieces of media. But now when you have a video that has a still photo in it, it's all just video. And ultimately, it'll be the same way with immersive, immersive media. It, it, it's just media, whether it's 2D, whether it is immersive, whether it's augmented, or whether it's interactive with, with mixed reality. And I'm really excited about um, the hardware-less solutions that hopefully will come out in the future that will not require us to you know, strap that uh, equivalent of a brick cell phone to your face and um, view, these, view these experiences. We know that we are you know, just in the first phase of these hardware devices. Uh, so you know, the, the, the future is bright, but it starts with trying to properly educate people about the different flavors of AR, VR, and MR. Which you are helping us do, and we're grateful for that. And we're going to go to more of our listeners. I should mention uh, a line of E.E. E. Cummings, a famous American poet, going through my head. There's a hell of a reality next door. Let's go. Um, I probably yeah. should have used that to conclude here. But I'll, I'll just go back to uh, give you what happened with that behavior of psychologist, in case anybody was curious about it. I learned meditation techniques. I learned relaxation techniques. And that was the way to the promised land in terms of mm -hmm. what was afflicting me. Uh, but let's hear from some others. Uh, this is from all the way in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, wow. Uh, a listener wants to know, this VR-based experience with vets appears to have had a positive therapeutic effect. Has there been any interest from other regions of the world on your work as many regions are going through 
much conflict. Yes. And hello, Cape Town. It's great that you tuned in today. And, and it's an excellent question. Yes, helium is used all over the world in Germany, in Africa, in New Zealand, in Australia. Stress knows no boundaries. And certainly this is a mental health emergency in the wake of COVID, not just in the United States, but but globally. 90% of doctor's visits are due to stress. Uh, there is a, a suicide epidemic going on around us, not only among veterans, but among college athletes, among youth and, and young adults. And so, you know, in addition to the excellent professional counselors and psychotropic medication that's out there, you know, there are also drugless, uh, non-harmful coping mechanisms that have the ability to supplement um, and also, um, you know, allow people to become more self-aware that what they think about in their head can actually change their physiology. Can we get a little futuristic for a moment before I bring some other listeners into this? I'm just thinking Absolutely. about- Absolutely. Well, there's a new novel by a Pulitzer Prize winning novelist uh, who I'm very fond of uh, as both a writer and a person, Jennifer Egan, no personally. Um, and in it, she talks about being able to access memories. I mean, this is obviously- science fiction at this point, but it's also within the realm of plausibility. You can access your memories and you can reconstruct those memories. You can have a virtual reality in terms of what's in your memory bank. It's all in the realm of plausibility, isn't it? I'm not talking about something that's necessarily all that far off. Absolutely. Uh, there is a phenomenal woman and technologist, Mary Lou uh, Jespin. Jesper, I'm, I'm butchering your last name. Uh, but she has a, a really neat project called Open Water, where they are working on digitizing memories. And so I dream of a day when I will be able to go back to my childhood home that was a destroyed in a, a tornado many years ago, but uh, have the ability to, you know, go back to that. I can go back to that place in my mind right now. I can see that wallpaper, you know, like it was right in, right in front of me in my mind. But someday that, you know, they will have the technology that allows you to do that inside, um, inside media and definitely check out the good work uh, that open water is is doing uh, to try to make that possible. And ultimately what we're doing with helium is allowing people to create a stored memory. So, um, you know, just as you were able to go back to that bridge in your mind without actually being into the bridge, you had been to that bridge before. So you felt like you could recall it in the, in the mind. It's the same thing inside um, uh, virtual reality. The brain is believe, believing what it sees. And so uh, we are using these experiences to create a stored memory inside the goggles. Sometimes people have never been to a beach. They've never, you know, they don't have that stored memory. But inside the goggles, they say things like, not just I'm, I'm watching the beach, they say, I'm at the beach and, you know, I'm watching the waves go in and their language is very eye language and, and very I'm here as if, you know, the, the brain is, is believing that they are, they're actually there. Obviously, the person knows that they're not actually at the beach, but the body is responding as if, as if it is. So, you know, with helium, we're able to create those, 
you know, stored memories that they can then go back to in a stressful situation. So for instance, if, as you were approaching that bridge, maybe um, uh, instead of, you know, seeing that reality of that bridge, you would be able to recall an experience uh, that you had in the beach, either in reality or in virtual reality. Uh, and your your body is is responding in that same way as if it was similar way, not same way, as if you were standing in front of front of a beach and watching the the waves roll in. I think we're going to be talking on uh, gray matter with Michael Pollan. Psychedelics can also, of course, and mushrooms create that where you not only think you're at the beach, but you maybe feel you are indeed there at the beach. Again, Absolutely. Cyberdelics. Yeah. Cyberdelics. We're talking, (laughs) I like that, uh, to Sarah Hill. And uh, by the way, where did you get the title Chief Storyteller? And how does that uh, actually define your role with helium or your... As long as we're talking about creating stories and the like. Absolutely. So I've been a storyteller for for decades. That was my roots as a journalist every single day telling stories. And when I became an entrepreneur and now the CEO of my own company, that's still your primary role. You are still telling stories, the story of your product every single day. So those are the two hats that I wear at the company, uh, CEO. And then I also uh, create a lot of these immersive experiences inside the goggles and writing a flat 2D story is very different than writing an immersive 360 degree story that's powered by your brain patterns and and your heart rate. And also in the future aroma, uh, we're also scent enabling these experiences as as well. So it is storytelling on steroids, if, if you will, and so, you know, I've always had that dual hat of, yes, I run the company and I also uh, champion the, the content and the stories as well. Well, the story of uh, Gray Matter includes participation and immersion from our listeners. Let me go to some more of them. Uh, from Avondale, Arizona, we're joined by Ray Harwood, and he wants to know, have you studied the effects of a virtual walk in the park on someone who has never had a physical walk in the park? It seems the presentation needs to connect with prior experience in order to have the beneficial effect. Yeah, Gray, that's a great comment and a great, great question. And I'm so glad that you turned tuned in to ask that. And the answer to your question is no, we don't have any data on placing someone in a virtual park uh, with someone who've never experienced it. But that would be very fascinating uh, piece of data to capture. And certainly in some of these areas, uh, that might be a barrier to finding participants, maybe who've never experienced a beach or something like that, uh, but we know they exist. And that would be really interesting to pair, you know, how does reality impact brain patterns as opposed to virtual reality. And I'm sure that there are absolutely differences and there's you know, really no replacement for the real world. Uh, and I would know that they, they would impact, uh, that would be a, a different impact, but I don't have any data support to support that. That would just be a hypothesis. Well, speaking about a hypothetical, you were talking before about how virtual reality can help you experience media without necessarily needing drugs to get rid of those Olympic-sized stresses that you go under. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about actually getting off drugs through virtual reality. I mean, there's been some exploration of that, hasn't there? 
There has. Um, some entities are using these products as to see if they can reduce the amount of anxiolytics. But I just want to caution your listeners that certainly our product um, and you know a lot of the other apps that you see on the virtual reality app stores are not meant to be any replacement for psychotropic medication or professional counseling. It's, you know, think of it like a a fitness tool. And so you, you know, while you can talk about the science behind it, um, we also need to be very clear with people, uh, don't get off your medication and see if this works. Like you need to talk to a, a professional, um, you know, about what the, the best course is for you, because, you know, uh, medication isn't for everyone. And there are some individuals who really thrive with medication. So, you know, it's, it's not a one size fits all. And certainly our product isn't meant to replace, um, you know, anxiolytics or any kind of psychotropic medication that you might be taking. I have a psychiatrist friend who's just started an app to help people through hypnosis which seems promising. Um, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's lots of stuff out there to choose from. Uh, Here's Chris Clark who wants to know about hospice care. He says, hospice care provides a powerfully consoling form of palliative care during predicted final months of life. Can you speak about ways in which helium participation provides palliative self-care well before a terminal diagnosis? Yeah, it's a great question. And I appreciate you having that comment. So helium, sometimes in the end stages of life, allows individuals to experience virtual nature, um, certainly in their World War II Vietnam or, or Korean memorials, Vietnam or everywhere, to places where they might not be able to physically travel. And so that has, has value for in, individuals to feel like they are there, even though they aren't able to be there. And beyond that and beyond what we're doing, I'd also encourage you to uh, check out some other companies. One of them is called Embodied Labs that allows um, uh, people to embody what it's like to have a vision um, uh, a, a vision impairment or to have another kind of uh, condition. And they're using it with frontline healthcare workers to allow them to develop a sense of empathy that then you know translates into their their practice and this relates uh with hospice as well you can actually step inside the story of of someone at the end stage of life and experience um you know some of those different stages of 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 dying in order to allow those hospice workers to become more self-aware and have more empathy to what the patients they serve are are experiencing. So certainly uh, your your comment and question is point is well taken. And yes, immersive media does have you know a, a valuable tool for people in in stage by allowing them to go to places where they can't physically travel. And let me ask you, if I could, quickly about video games, because that keeps coming up in the literature that you read about virtual reality. Where does that fit in, particularly in terms of well, the effect on mind and heart and all the rest of what we're pursuing knowledge of here? Yeah, the bulk of the experiences on virtual reality apps right now are games. You might think of Helium as a self-awareness game that you control with your your brain patterns and heart rate. 
Um, and you know, that's essentially how you play it. Your goal in this game is to try to lower your heart rate to make things happen inside the screen. You lower your heart rate and butterflies hatch. You lower your heart rate and fireflies come on the screen. Um, it's ultimately based on game mechanics. And, um, but instead of, you know, using your, your thumb, uh, in order to control the screen, you're using your your biometric data in order to make these experiences change. And the added benefit of that is it's helping you learn and become more self-aware that when you breathe differently, when you sit differently, when you put a smile on your face, you see impacts in, in brain patterns and heart rate. It's also nice to see fireflies like you, uh, I mean, I grew up in Ohio. I'm a mid-American, and California, we don't see fireflies. So, that's uh, even right. virtual fireflies are welcome. Do you um, also maybe say? Could you say something about the role now virtual reality is playing with? I mean, the major leagues has virtual reality. The National Football League has virtual mm -hmm. reality. I mean, mm -hmm. as far as games, even professional games have now accessed much more in this realm. Right. Gaming is a big, big factor among elite athletes, certainly at the major league baseball, major league soccer, NFL teams. Uh, we re recently uh, uh, developed a relationship with the NFL Players Association where we're working to get helium in the hands of additional elite athletes and raise broader awareness of this mental health emergency and the importance of mental fitness and drugless, non-harmful coping mechanisms. And so certainly inside a lot of these clubs, they have games that they play that can improve their reaction time, improve things like P300 values in, in their brain. Um, and all of that comes through gaming. And, you know, the line between traditional games and digital therapeutics are absolutely coming together. And, you know, there are, um, you know, uh, great applications and and companies that are really the canaries in the mine right now, uh, creating gaming that has impacts on ADHD and other medical conditions, and um, you know we're we're rooting for those companies to continue to innovate in those areas uh, because ultimately you know uh, not everything has to come in the form of a pill, and certainly with having a game and having the ability to play a game uh, has value for a lot of people. Our guest is Sarah Hill, and our next listener joining us is Grant Whitehead from Adelaide, South Australia. Grant says, media diet is a helpful term. The rise of on-demand media is killing linear scheduled TV. Do you think there's a difference between passively watching whatever is broadcast versus intentionally choosing content? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I dream of a day where Netflix is able to use our technology to allow uh, you to get a baseline on what your brain patterns or heart rate are doing, and then it's suggesting content to you that uh, can, you know, make you more relaxed or, you know, uh, feeling more content or, or happier. That day obviously isn't here here yet. Um, it's, you know, coming in very, very baby steps. But 
I do think that that line between being outside the story and passively consuming it and being inside the, the story and consuming it are are blurring and and um, at the same time becoming more defined. And myself as a storyteller has very much crossed over into the realm of being inside the story because I see how being inside the story can greater impact your brain patterns and heart and heart rate. And so, you know, that's, that's the areas that I like to play in because I can see its power on, on physiology. And my hope in the future is that media just won't be viewed as something that you consume for information, that media, flat media, 2D media, immersive media, XR media, whatever on that spectrum will be used as a therapeutic tool that has the ability to change your 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 brain patterns and, and your heart rate. And more responses and questions. This is Juan Robles, who is with us from Mexico City. He says, how realistic does it have to be for the VR system to be beneficial in any kind of therapy? So there are different flavors of virtual and augmented reality. So in virtual reality, you might have a con con uh, computer-generated experience that's digitally rendered in a game engine like unity game engine or unreal game engine or you might have a 360 degree video that's shot with a real camera and placed inside the goggles or you can have a blend of the two that's a computer generated experience that's rendered out as a video and put inside the goggles um, but I, I think it's important to mention that that there are are different flavors there and we don't yet know we're beginning to learn and understand as we look at brain maps of these individuals who are using a virtual and augmented reality, how each one impacts the brain differently. Do they perceive a real 360 degree video experience as being more real than something that's con consumer generated? Uh, I don't have the answer to that question, but I know that there are researchers out there who are, who are studying that. It's also very important, is it not, to track your data and to keep tracking it, monitoring it, and so forth? Every piece of content that we create, we do a brain map on it to see, um, you know, how how is it impacting, you know, brain patterns and, and heart rate. So that's been a learning experience for myself. You know, in the old days, you would create a video story, you'd press play or, or you know, publish it online, and you were done. But here inside, um, you know, immersive media and what we're doing with Helium, we're creating the content and then almost, you know, we, we are doing um, uh, trials, clinical trials on it to see, okay, how does this piece of content impact a brain pattern or a heart rate? People associate you with Helium, like the kind that we breathe? Absolutely. All the time we get people who say, so is this like a gas that you can smell and, you know, it's like, no, heal. The root word is heal in that, you know, we're trying to allow people to unlock the healing powers of media. And here's Tlaloc Lopez Waterman, who's with us from Knoxville, Tennessee, and says, meditation has been a source of healing and equal poise for eons. What's the biggest source of resistance to it in this age? So the biggest, and it's a great question. I love Knoxville, Tennessee, by the way. Um, uh, great uh, memories of being in marching bands, going through uh, 
World's Fair uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee. But anyway, you know, the pushback is just from a lack of understanding. Uh, anything new sometimes, you know, uh, when you mention things like brainwaves, they think, are you putting something into my head? No, these are just wearable devices that are meant to be headphones for your forehead. They're just listening to brain patterns and, and heart rate, but it can appear very woo-woo to people, um, you know, who aren't, aren't familiar with it. Um, and, you know, I understand that. And the biggest barrier is that meditation, the benefits of, of meditation are, are well known. Um, and this is just a different, the next iteration of meditation that instead of passively listening or watching the experience, which has value, Research shows that there's even more value when you are inside the experience and your your body, you know, is responding as if it's actually there. And so, you know, again, would encourage you to try all different flavors. Uh, this is just a, you know, a, a different form of one. And we really haven't had any pushback um, from the, the public about what we're doing. You know, we're certainly not making medical claims. And, you know, we're certainly not uh, saying that, you know, this can make you a cure your depression or anything like that. Um, it's just, you know, a break in the day and some virtual peace and one small thing that you can do for yourself to educate yourself, you know, about how your mind and your body are absolutely connected. What is the first thing you say, though? To, so let's do a little psychodrama here, if you don't mind. First thing you say to somebody, like I'll say to you, come on, this is all a bunch of woo-woo. How would you respond in terms of your own triage about what you need to put forward to sort of defend your territory here put this on your face <laughs> yeah, well done and instantly they understand they're like oh i get it when we you know put people inside the goggles or we when we put them on a vibroacoustic chair and they're able to feel the media uh, in addition to seeing their brain patterns or when we integrate aroma and you can absolutely see the brain changing in real time there, you know, there, there's, there's no disputing the fact that, you know, media has a negative and a positive impact on physiology. Let me try to get to a, at least a couple more questions. Uh, David Anderson from Seattle wants to know, can you do remote neurofeedback? Usually the provider is in the same room with a computer using two screens. One they check and the responses by your brain and the other you are viewing. COVID-19 doesn't allow the provider to be in the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a, a great point. And certainly there are phenomenal neurofeedback specialists out there. Just Google in your own community neurofeedback therapy and they'll pop up on your screen. And there is great value in having that therapist right next to you because they can gently guide you if you're getting off track or you're getting in, in your head. And um, matter of fact, uh, Helium was co-developed by a neurofeedback specialist. And you know, at its core, we are combining neurofeedback, biofeedback with immersive um, uh, media in, in virtual and augmented reality. But there's also the ability to do neurofeedback at home um, as a light version of, you know, what you might find someplace else. Obviously, our tools are not diagnostic in any way. Uh, inside a neurofeedback uh, therapy center, they do have clinical tools that can be more diagnostic. In fact, there are entities out there that can do brain maps. 
um, and, you know, very quickly uh, try to train up or down certain areas of, of the brain. And, um, you know, this is a way that you can do neurofeedback at home. It's not diagnostic, but it's an, an extension of, you know, what you might already uh, see in a provider's office, uh, just not uh, just not diagnostic or, or treating anything, but, you know, allowing you to become more self-aware of what you think about has an impact on your brain patterns and heart rate. One more question from your uh, Show Me Harry Truman State. Uh, how receptive have military and government agencies been to the idea of virtual treatments for PTSD and other stress-related disorders? Very receptive. So PTS is a huge problem. We're losing 20 veterans a, a day to suicide. And so, you know, not everyone is willing to ask for help. Not everyone is willing to raise their hand and, and go, to a, go to a therapist or, or seek that out. And so, you know, wouldn't it be great if there were ways that uh, we could strengthen their resilience so that more people wouldn't have to, um, you know, get in these, these situations. And that's just what we're trying to do with helium is build that resilience. Um, certainly when you're in a, a submarine or out on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the Pacific ocean, sometimes you don't have access to nature, real nature for months and months. And, you know, a lot of these sailors and airmen are using audio CDs, um, in order to, you know, get them through stressful situations. Certainly audio has value for people, but there's an even greater value of immersing someone inside that nature and allowing them to see actually and, and feel like they're there. So, you know, we, we certainly have, have seen receptiveness among all branches. They recognize that it's an issue um, and they're trying to get these tools in the areas of acute situational and confined stress. Sarah Hill. It's been a delight to talk to you, and uh, thank you for not only all the information and enlightenment you provided us here in this virtual medium this morning, but also all the work that you've done. It's been fascinating. Your listeners are phenomenal, and um, thank you for the opportunity to share such insightful questions and comments, and I am just really honored and grateful for, for the opportunity and would encourage people to seek out any drugless, non-harmful coping mechanism right now, because this certainly is the Stress Olympics, and not all of us have trained for it. Sarah Hill again is CEO of Helium. That's Helium with an A. And uh, thank you for being a part of this episode. For all of us here at Gray Matter with Michael Krasny, I'm Michael Krasny. Bandwidth for Gray Matter is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com.